0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So excited to be here with you this evening, launching into a brand new series studying through the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you have it a smartphone or a device, you can click there. And we'll be kicking off this series. um, The title of my sermon tonight is Walking in the Promises. And while you're turning there, I'll make you aware of just a couple of things. Um, The first thing is that next Saturday, right out here in our east parking lot, we are going to be hosting one of our biggest events. It's the Feast of Trumpets. We are so excited about this. And the Lord has already begun to prepare a message on my dad's heart. Pastor Ray, and uh, this is going to be the one that you do not want to miss. There is so much going on in our world, and it's never been more important for the church to be gathered together, especially as we consider the Lord's timetable of prophetic events. This is the one you want to be at, folks. It's a bring-your-own-chair event, so you can uh, bring some some chairs and some blankets, bring the kids. We're going to have glow sticks for them. It's going to be a lot of fun, party atmosphere. And and so that's going to be awesome. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is right here on uh, Solomon's porch on Wednesday, October 7th, we are going to be taking our service and turning it into a worship night. And we're also going to be doing baptisms. So if you haven't been baptized, This is your opportunity. If you missed the one we just did, then praise the Lord. You can come out here Wednesday, October 7th. We're going to worship. We're going to see people celebrate their faith. And and, uh, it's going to be an awesome night. So plan on attending that. Bring your friends as well. And with that, we can go ahead and jump into our study in Joshua. I'm going to set things up like this. In the opening scenes of that cult classic film, just an awesome movie: "The Princess Bride." <laughs> a grandfather attempts to describe the book he's about to read to his sick grandson, and he tells him, "You're going to love this book. It's got a little bit of everything in it. It's got fencing, it's got fighting, revenge, giants, escapes, true love, miracles." He could have just as easily have been describing the book of Joshua. you see? Like the Princess Bride, I think the book of Joshua has a little bit of everything in it. There are heroes, there's villains, miracles and giants, epic battles and daring escapes. Like I said, this book has it all, only it also has the added advantage of also happening to be true. So I couldn't be more excited about jumping into it with you. As we catch up with the Israelites here in Joshua 1, the book begins. With Israel at both a figurative and literal crossroads. After, after 40 long years of wandering through the wilderness, they finally stood poised on the brink of entering the promised land. This, of course, was the land that God had promised to give to their ancestor Abraham some 400 years prior. It also just so happened to be the same land that 40 years prior, Moses had commissioned 12 spies to go in and to assess the situation and reconnaissance the land, to spy out the weak points, if you will, and to bring back a report. And if you'll recall, when those spies came back, the the vast majority of them concurred that it was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, just as God said it would be. They brought back grapes the size of basketballs to prove it. But they went on to tell the Israelite people There are also giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers before them. There's no way that we stand a chance. Of those 12 spies that went in and spied out the land, there were only two that came back with a positive report. Their names, of course, were Joshua and Caleb. They told the people, yes, it's true that there are giants in the land. And there are going to be obstacles that need to be overcome. And no, it won't be easy. There are going to be some battles, but let's not forget, this is the promised land. The Lord is with us. Unfortunately, rather than listening to Joshua and Caleb, the people sided with the spies who gave the negative report, and as a consequence of that, God forbade that entire generation from entering into the promised land, and they were forced to wander through the wilderness, although he miraculously provided for them during that time. But they were forced to wander throughout the wilderness until every person from that generation had passed away. The last one to die, was Moses. Then the Lord came to Joshua and told him, the time has come. Get ready to go in and take possession of the land. So that kind of sets the historical context of the book for us. But perhaps you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? Other than it being a great yarn or a good story, what does it have to speak to my life today? And the answer, I hope, is a lot. You see, it would be easy, and I think we may be tempted to think that a book that records incidents that happened so long ago, that centers around a physical promised land in ancient battles might not have much to speak to us. But you would be wrong. You see, the truth is there are many parallels between what, what they went through and what we experience in our own lives. Let me, let me tease out a few of them for you. For the ancient Israelites, it was a physical promised land that God wanted to bring them into. For us, it's not a promised land, it's a promised life, a life marked by victory, a life marked by flourishing and abundance and blessing. For them, it was about taking possession of the promise that God had given to Abraham. For us, It's about learning to walk in the exceeding and great and precious promises that the Bible is filled with. For them, it was about claiming their divine inheritance. But for us, it's about growing in our understanding of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, as the apostle Paul would put it. For them, it was physical giants and walled cities that stood between them and their promise. For us, we recognize that maybe our struggle isn't so much against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the authority, against against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The point is, and I hope you're starting to get this, this book that we're about to look at together, this book is extremely relevant for today. And there's a whole lot that we can grab a hold of and learn from and glean from as we face our own battles, as we face those obstacles that inevitably find their way into our lives, this book is going to help us win those battles and overcome those obstacles. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our text. Look with me at verse one. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, When you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and be courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you might be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Man, this is the word of the Lord To Joshua. It's a bit of a pregame pep talk, and and there have been some great pregame pep talks over the years. Some coaches have delivered some doozies, but this has to rank right there at the top. When God is Himself giving you the pregame pep talk, and He's saying, nobody who stands before you is going to be able to overcome you because I'm with you and I'm going to take out your enemies and we're going to mow them down. You can imagine the kind of confidence that that must have instilled within Joshua's heart. Now, we don't know how the Lord spoke this word to Joshua. Could have been an impression that he received in his heart. Could have been a dream that came to him and the Lord spoke to him in that dream. It could have been an audible voice, that would have been cool if the Lord audibly spoke to Joshua this word. We're not sure how he spoke to him, but the important point is to note that before Joshua set off on this important conquest into the land of Canaan, that he didn't do anything until he had first heard from the Lord. And that's just a great reminder. I know it's obvious, but sometimes it's the most obvious points that we missed. There is this necessity in all of our lives to to hear from the Lord and not set off on any venture until we've first waited and heard from the Lord. You see, in my own life, far too often, I get antsy and I just go off on my own without ever waiting to hear from God. And that is always a recipe for disaster. Somebody say amen if you know that's true. How much wiser and how much better would it be If we follow Joshua's lead and first listened and waited on the voice of the Lord, when we would do that, if we would do that, then we'd be able to move forward with confidence, knowing that we're in the center of God's will. So this is the word of the Lord to Joshua. And now let's turn our attention to what he actually said. The first thing he said to him is, Moses, my servant is dead. Now this was an obvious fact. This wasn't new news. And yet it was such a huge statement that God paused to acknowledge what a momentous event this was. You see, for 40 years, Joshua and everyone else in Israel had their eyes trained on Moses. He had been God's representative to the people. He had spoken the words of God to the people. It had been Moses whose staff turned into a serpent in the presence of Pharaoh and his court and his magicians and ate all of their serpents. It was Moses who had stretched out that same staff over the Red Sea and the waters parted and he led the people of God through the Red Sea on dry ground. He was the one who struck the rock in the wilderness and out of it rushed water to satisfy their thirst. He was the one who went up the mountain into the smoke and the the cracks of thunder and the flashes of lightning into the very presence of God and received The Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And he delivered those to the Jewish people. The point, and this is again an obvious point, but Moses was more than just a good man or a godly leader. He was this towering figure and a living legend in Israel. So that's who Moses was. But we're talking here about Joshua. And who is Joshua? Well, verse 1 tells us Joshua was the son of Nun. Moses' aide. He was just an assistant, a personal assistant to Moses. What that meant was he had front row seats to all of the cool stuff that Moses did. He had watched him commune with God and go into the tent of meeting. He got to observe his prayer life. He got to stand with him as he prayed for the people. He got to see him lead the nation. And he was comfortable in that role. It was a good fit on Joshua to be second in command. But then one day, Moses died. And God said, Joshua, it's your turn to lead the people. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Now talk about having some big shoes to fill. Now I get what this feels like. You know, standing behind this pulpit, my dad is Ray Bentley, world-renowned prophecy expert and Bible teacher extraordinaire. And so every time I get up here, I'm aware of the fact that I have these big, huge shoes, and my dad cast a long shadow, but as long as his shadow is, it's not as long as Moses' shadow was. I mean, Moses cast like a really long shadow. It's not easy to follow a legend, right? Can you guys name the president who followed George Washington? Who coached the Packers after Vince Lombardi? Who coached the Bears after Mike Ditka? You see, these names, not that they're insignificant, it's just that they're easy to forget because these men were trying to replace men who seemed like they were irreplaceable. Now imagine you're the guy that follows Moses. <laughs> I mean, that's just like beyond, right? Like, it's like being the band that comes on after the, e, uh, the Beatles, right? <laughs> they're like, wow, another great set by the Beatles. Next up, we've got Jim. Take it away, Jim. <laughs> you know, that's the unenviable position that Joshua found himself in. And I'm sure he was feeling the pressure. I mean, what if he wasn't up to the challenge? What if he messed up? What if he wasn't strong enough, smart enough, or good enough? I'm sure he felt overwhelmed, ill-equipped, and underprepared. The Lord knew that Joshua was feeling this way, which is why I believe he said these words to him. And this is in verse 5. He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You be strong, you be courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Do you, Joshua, and just know that I'm with you. And notice how God reminds him in this statement of two facts. He reminds him of the promises that he had given and he reminds him of his abiding presence. And these are the two reasons why Joshua knew that he could be strong and courageous, even in the face of overwhelming odds. Be strong, be courageous, why? Because I'm with you and I've given you my promise. And every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that what was true for him is equally true for every one of us here tonight. You see, God has promised us, just like he promised Joshua, that he will always be with us. So just after the resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples, and he gives them their marching orders. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So you guys go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the very end. So these are the marching orders of every Christian go into the whole earth, make disciples of all nations, intimidating, right? But then Jesus says, ah, but I've been given all authority and I'm passing that on to you because of your identity in me, you have that same shared authority. And not only that, but you have the promise of my presence, I will be with you. And then in addition to his abiding presence, hasn't he also given us promises? And each one of these promises are like blank checks, just waiting to be cashed. There's more than 7,000 promises in the Bible. Someone took the time to comb through the pages of Scripture. What a fun job that would be. Find every promise in the Bible, and they found over 7,000 of them. And every one of those promises is yes and amen. And that's why you and I, we can be strong, and we can be courageous as we head into the great unknown, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. 2020. I don't know what you thought it was going to look like. And in your forecast, I promise you, it didn't look like this. And so we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And so we take confidence. We can be courageous. We can be strong because we have his promises and we have his presence. There's something else I want you to notice from this, these first couple of verses here. What God told Joshua, he said in verse three, I will give you. I like that. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Now, the thing to note about this statement is on the one hand, God is promising assured victory. I will give you. It's already done. The battle has been decided. I'm going to give it to you. But there's a condition. I will give you every place that the sole of your foot touches. You see, God was going to give him the land, but he had a part to play. What this meant is that Joshua couldn't just stand idly by. He couldn't just sit back and take in the show and watch God do everything for him. He had to participate in his own provision. Let me say that again. Joshua had to participate in the provision that God wanted to provide for him. And so God always invites us into the story, and we always play a vital role, not because he needs us, because he wants to to bring us into a deeper place in our relationship with him. So he asks us to put feet to our faith, just like he did with Joshua. You see, it's really easy, on the one hand, to say, I have faith. But real faith isn't just cerebral. It's practical. It's meant to be lived out. I'm reminded of a quote from... D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody was an awesome evangelist, but before he preached the gospel, he sold shoes. And one of the things he was fond of saying is he thought that every Bible ought to be wrapped in shoe leather. In other words, what he was saying is the truths contained in God's word shouldn't stay here. They need to make their way into our hearts and all the way down to the soles of our feet. So as we think about this picture of what it means to walk out our faith, The thing that sticks out to me is, well, just how simple it is, right? There's nothing complicated or difficult about it. All Joshua had to do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other, step after step. And God assured him that wherever he walked, every place the sole of his foot touched, it was land that was going to be given to him. And this, friends, is a picture for us of the Christian life. You want to know what the Christian life is? It's a walk. What did Micah the prophet say? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. So we're called as Christians to walk out our faith. But what what does that really mean? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, think about it like this. Nearly every morning, my wife and I take a walk together. And, and as we're walking, it's an opportunity for us to just debrief each other on what's going on in our lives, and what we're thinking about the future, and, and to share funny things that happened with the kids. And it's, it's a bonding experience. It's a time of fellowship. We ask questions, and we listen to one another, and we commune with one another it's one of the favorite things that I get to do and this is again how we grow our relationship with God because he's with us we can walk with him and we can speak to him in prayer knowing that we have his ear and he's attentive to our voice in the same way that when you hear your kids voices that you can pick it out of a crowd God picks out your voice he says my children are talking to me they want to spend time with me And then we get to listen to him as we read his word. And this is the picture throughout scripture. When you go back to the beginning, it says that Adam heard the Lord God walking in the cool of the evening. And the the implication there is that this was, this was a natural part of the rhythm of their daily life that as the day would begin to cool, you know when the sun just gets beyond the horizon and it sets, but the, the sky is just colored in pinks and oranges and hues of purples and blues. It's just, it's cool and it's, the air just feels sweet and you get outside. Every single evening, Adam and Eve had a standing appointment to just take a stroll through the Garden of Eden with God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And it doesn't imply that it wasn't like God showed up with a punch list. Now, did you get these things done? No, the, the implication is that it was, it was mainly just social in nature. So what did they talk about? I don't know. But perhaps, you know, Adam's like, oh, God. You should check it out. Eve, he, she made the most incredible lasagna last night. You've got to come and try it tomorrow. Or you should have seen what the foxes were doing. And they were playing in their den. And they had a new litter. And they're just talking about the events of the day. And God, you did it again. That sunset, you just nailed it. And they would just walk with God, commune with God. But then, of course, there was the fall. And you would think that God's desire for fellowship was broken. But it wasn't. Because not too long after that, we come across another man in the book of Genesis chapter five, I believe. And in the midst of this long list of names, we come upon a guy named Enoch. And here's what the Bible tells us about Enoch. It says that Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now that's, that's really all we're told about Enoch. Not a whole lot to go on. He lived, he walked faithfully with God, and then he was not, for God took him. We don't know, it seems to suggest that he didn't die. There was one preacher who, I like the the picture that he painted of this relationship. God, God and Enoch had walked so far and so long together that at the end of a long day, God turned to his friend Enoch and said, you know what, I think we're closer to my house than yours, why don't you just come home with me? He's caught up to heaven. Which, wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy? That we would just walk faithfully with God. For all of our days for all of our years you come to the new testament the picture is the same it's replete with exhortations to walk in the spirit to walk worthy of the manner with which you've been called to to walk or pay careful attention to our walk and this is what we're called to do just like joshua in his case he was walking through a physical land laying claim to real promises in our case we're called to walk through the promises of God, and lay claim to spiritual territory. You see, Jesus, our greater than Joshua, has already secured for us everything that we'll need for life and godliness. But we still have to go out. We have to activate our faith and take possession of that life and claim it. It's something that requires action. We can't just twiddle our thumbs and, and hope that it happens. We have to take, partake. We have to walk. And here's the other part of that. Once you've begun to walk, don't stop. This is so key. Something that becomes clear as you read about the land that God was wanting to give to Joshua and the Israelites is that in order for them to claim all of it, they were going to have to log a serious amount of miles. Like Joshua was going to have to be one of those power walkers. You've seen these people. If he's going to claim all the land that God's going to give him, he's just going to have to walk and walk and walk and walk and and get his steps in because that's the only way he was going to get through it all. Interestingly, when you you go through and you look at the land that God, the borders that God had given to Israel, that surface area encompasses a landmass of about 300,000 miles. Now, that's a lot of land. But sadly, did you know that the most, the most land that Israel ever occupied at one time at the height of their power was only about 10% of the area that's described here in these verses? Now, that's incredibly sad, isn't it? God says it's yours for the taking. All you have to do is put the sole of your foot on it. I've already given it to you. But they never fully realized it or stepped into all that God wanted to give them. They stopped short. And and you know as well as I do that the same thing often happens in our lives. How many people have you known over the years who, at one time, they they were on fire for Jesus? And they had a walk that you envied because they just knew the Lord so well. But the fire in their heart has cooled. They've stagnated. They've stalled. In some cases, they've regressed. And their walk has become a saunter. And they've slowed down. I wonder if that's you. How's your walk? Is there any territory in your life that God is waiting for you to step out and claim? It could be. It could be that the enemy right now is squatting on territory that God has already promised to give you victory in. And what you need to do tonight is you need to say, no more. I'm taking back. Or I'm stepping into what God has given to me. I'm claiming victory in those areas of my life. God says it's mine, and I'm taking it. He's already told me that none of my enemies will be able to stand against me. He's told me that I'm more than a conqueror in him. He's told me that he's with me, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So fear, go. Depression, leave. Doubt, disappear. I'm stepping out in faith and I'm claiming what's mine. Somebody say amen. 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 We gotta do it, we can't just say it. You gotta put your feet, stomp your feet, somebody. Amen. We're putting feet to our face tonight. As we move into this next section in verses 6 through 9, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. You will lead these people, and they will inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. And be strong and courageous, he says it again. And then obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn to the left or the right, but keep this law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and have good success. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for I am with you." Over and over and over and over and over and over over again. God says the same thing to Joshua. He tells him, be strong, be courageous. Take what's yours that I've given to you. Now, these aren't suggestions. They're commands. And if you're going to lead in any capacity, and by the way, you are a leader. Right. You're leading someone. People are looking at you. You may think, I'm not a leader. You are a leader. And you have a whole lot of influence, a sphere of influence that a pastor could never touch. And if you're going to lead, then you ought to strive to be a good leader. And here's some advice on how to lead in a godly way. If you're going to be a godly leader, then first, you've got to be strong. Now, I want to be careful to point out that that doesn't necessarily mean strong in the physical sense. You don't need to be Arnold to be strong. One of the strongest people I ever knew was my great-grandmother. I don't know if she touched five foot. She couldn't have weighed more than 87 pounds, dripping wet. But she was a warrior. And she took down giants. She was a prayer warrior. And she might have been small in stature, but she was a spiritual giant. So we're not talking about physical strength here. We're talking about spiritual strength. And if you're going to be a leader, then you need to be strong. What do I mean? Well, you need to be strong in your convictions, strong in the faith, strong in your character. And you're also going to need a healthy dose of courage. You'll need courage to go against the grain, because sometimes being a leader means doing the unpopular thing. You also need courage to step out in faith, even if it means going alone. Now, courage comes in many forms. We typically, typically associate it with acts of heroism on the battlefield, Medal of Honor type stuff. But more often than not, I've found that it's those small acts of courage in the areas that no one sees that lead to these dramatic, radical changes that everyone admires and wants. And if you'll just start saying yes to God and no to your flesh in those small areas, that that takes courage. And it will make a world of difference, not just in your life, but in the lives of all those who are watching you. You see, we're not all called to lead countries like Joshua or companies or churches or social movements. Yet each of us is called to act with courage in some way. And every time you take action in the presence of your fear, listen, you dilute its power and you dial up your own. You've no doubt heard it said that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to forge ahead in the face of fears. And I believe that's true. To be effective leaders, we're going to need strength and we're going to need courage. And then he goes on in verse 9 and he says that again, be strong and be courageous. But then he adds "And don't be afraid. And don't be discouraged. Now, now fear is what the enemy will use to keep you from stepping out, right? So often in life, the hardest step is the first one. And it's just so hard to take that first step in any venture of faith, whether it be moving to a foreign country to do missions work or... M- becoming part of a church plant, or just sharing the gospel with your neighbor, the first step is the hard one, but then you begin to grow some inertia. So he says, don't be afraid, and the antidote to fear is courage that comes from knowing Jesus is with us and he's given us his promises, and he says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Now, if fear is what the enemy uses to to stop us from starting out, then discouragement is its evil twin, and it's what the enemy uses to keep us from finishing strong, right? As we're walking in our faith, as we're walking in the promises, as we're claiming territory for Jesus, the enemy sets in with discouragement. And it gets hard, and we think we're the only ones. And that's when we're tempted to just throw in the towel, and we think, what's the point? It doesn't make any difference. And and God says, no, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you and I'm for you. I Man, where are we reminded of these truths? How do we feed our souls with this narrative that is so important to play on repeat in our minds and in our hearts? We open the book. So we keep this book on our lips. We meditate on it with our hearts. You guys are well taught. You know that the word meditate there means to chew. To just kind of, oh, man, it tastes so nice. You got to chew it twice kind of thing. And you've heard about how cows have, what is it, four seven stomachs. They'll chew on grass, chew the cud, they call it. They swallow it into stomach number one. And then they're like, I missed that food. <laughs> <laughs> chew it back up some more. And then into stomach number two and <laughs> comes back up. And Beautiful imagery there in our Bibles. <laughs> just meditating on the word of God. But we can't, we can't just read it. We can't just speak it. We can't just hide it away in our hearts. we got to live it out. He says, be careful to observe it. Don't let it just be an exercise in mental acuity. Don't just stimulate your cerebral cortex. you got to get out and live out your faith. We can't have a Jeffersonian approach to our Christianity. You know how he would just pick and choose the parts of the Bible that he liked and then literally with a pair of scissors. He cut out all the parts he didn't like. I don't want to do that. No, no, we got to live it all out. And we got to do this knowing that he's with us. So we remember the promises. We remind ourselves of his presence. We read the word. And then we just get to sit back and enjoy the victory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this introductory study. Of Joshua. I love the example that he is to us of a man of God. And we are in a situation not unlike the Israelites so many millennia ago as they stood poised on the brink of entering into an unknown land. They knew that there were battles before them. They couldn't go back to where they'd been. They were afraid to move forward into the unknown. And so they just had to walk in faith, trusting you. And, and Jesus, teach us to do that very thing. Lord Jesus, where their enemy has come in and gotten a foothold in our hearts, Lord, we want to we drive him out tonight. And we claim that space. We claim every nook and cranny every corner and closet of our hearts as rightfully yours. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.